then they get the surgery. And then I think there's swelling that goes on for a really long time that again, is not clearly communicated to them how long that can go on for on top of the fact that they think they're going to have this flat stomach all day, every day. And it's like, no, it's still a human stomach. You're eating, you're drinking, there's things going on. Yes. And they get very, very, very upset. And it's really, I think one of the biggest disconnects and biggest messes in the abdominal plasty tummy tuck community and from the women that I talk to. And I think that's something that really needs to be put out there and talked out a lot more about. Welcome to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I'm here again with Lisa Ryan, who is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, a really good friend, a colleague, of course, and somebody who has a very similar timeline and athlete mom story to me. If you have not listened to episode seven of the Practice Brave podcast, where her and I do a deep dive on all things like personal story related to diastasis recti in a way that, I mean, most people don't talk about it. So at least not in the way that Lisa and I tried to in that episode. And today we're taking it a step further and we are talking about an abdominoplasty or more commonly known as a tummy tuck. And we hope to share both of our stories about why we ended up choosing to get surgery, the individual reasoning for that, similar reasoning for it, and a lot of the struggles and things along the way that no one, frankly, talks to you about. So we're here to do just that. Lisa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I say she's everyone's favorite personality because she's just like genuinely like the most bubbly, like light hearted, kind person I know. And then I'm like, yeah. So we're going to have a really good balance for each other's personalities, what I'm saying. All right. So Lisa, let like in, I know that you can talk forever about this. Yes. But again, we've covered a lot in episode seven. So let's fast forward and tell us a tiny bit about your diastasis and why you chose surgery. Sure. So for those of you that might not be familiar with my story, basically I had a very severe diastasis after my first, which then just got worse with my second, even though I what have do you a lot mean by very severe, like let's give people so, an idea because that, you know, we both get like, I have a three finger diastasis and people think that's, severe. yes. So let's keep it real. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I often still forget to clarify. Isn't that crazy after all this time? I know. Um, basically my stomach was severely protruding. Um, after both of the kids, I could fit both hands into my stomach <laughs> So finger wise, I know everyone's fingers are different lengths, but you know, it was, I don't know, eight, nine fingers. Um, I was able to, with some rehab over the years and things, I was able to actively close that in an active position. Like if I was doing a crunch or something of that nature to, you know, almost a one at my very strongest. And earlier on, I could close it to maybe a three or four in an active position. But when my hand went in, when you're looking at like how much feedback that fascia is giving you, it sunk all the way into my body, creepy, creepy stuff. (laughs) And so the integrity of that fascia was pretty hit. So it was wide and very deep. And then from an aesthetic standpoint, just standing, not in an active position at all, my belly was severely protruding. And to clarify, I met Lisa and the first time I touched her stomach, she, you were what, six months postpartum maybe? Yes. From my second Around there. Yep. Around that time. Yep. And I remember like, and I had been working with people with diastasis for so long. Um, Lisa and I had been talking for years at this point, but the first time I met her in person, I touched her stomach and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like there's like no abdominal wall there. Like that's, that was my feeling was like, normally you can press on a muscle and expect to feel a muscle. But when I pressed in on her stomach and like like her belly button area, but also like the surrounding areas were yes. just like inches, like where there was just no abdominal wall. 
It was just that really stretched out fascia, similar to like when you stretch out a sweater, it like doesn't go back to being like normal, right? Like that area of the sweater gets really stretched out. And that is what her fascia felt like. My hands just went straight into her belly because there was no muscle there. It was just connective tissue. But you had a really good poker face. You did not look freaked out at all. I like to give like, you credit oh, yeah, for this that. Is fine, and then I'm like, oh shit, that was that yeah, was a no, very you, interesting feeling. You did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, okay. So go on. Yeah. So so that was that. I all I, I knew that surgery was a possibility at different points, but I, I hadn't had my second kid. After my second kid, again, I knew surgery was a possibility but I wanted to exhaust all my rehab and all of that. And we talked a lot about that in the other podcast. And so after all that was said and done, I realized that, okay, now I need to start going for consults, going and figuring out this next whole step for two reasons. One is I didn't want to look like that. And I think that's important because again, the aesthetic part is part of decisions and that's okay. Right. That's part of it. And would you um, say that you looked maybe like you had, you were like six months pregnant? Yeah. It, Between yes. four and six months of a typical pregnant looking stomach is what Lisa right. looked like right. at a year, two years postpartum, right. would we say? Correct. Yeah. Like, and obviously in the morning, it always looked a little bit better, but by the end of the day, it would be like full on six months, you know, you know, I right. mean, how that, how that can be. And even after getting stronger and doing all these things and actively being able to bring that together in ways that people couldn't believe and all this stuff, still at rest, it changed a little bit. It tightened up a teeny bit when I got my rectus a little bit stronger because I actually started using it again. But like it was, there was not a huge difference, right? So that was that. And I wanted to wait until um, my second son was older. I didn't want to rush into choosing a surgeon. I was really nervous about the surgery. I had to research and do all this stuff. So that process took a while, but the decision was made that I was going to for sure get surgery at that point. Right. And so the, the, our goal with this episode is to talk about Lisa's situation because her and I are both very similar. Like we both had two babies. We both had a significant diastasis. Both of us happen to be married to husbands named Jerry. <laughs> um, but no, but for real, um, Lisa's reasoning for getting surgery that we had a similar foundation, but different, I'd say, driving forces and reasons. Whereas my stomach was, I had a significant diastasis also. I didn't know that really after my first baby until later, and then was able to, you know, go down a rabbit hole of figuring out how to improve it and whatnot. So I was able to improve my diastasis from about eight centimeters to about two or three centimeters and my fascia was really strong. And then I got pregnant again and I had chance and I knew that I had a really significant diastasis. He was a 10 pound baby. I talk about this a lot because it's important to talk about like how just you can do everything right during pregnancy or everything wrong. And you just never really know like what's going to happen. So absolutely big baby that grew straight into my linea alba. I just remember talking to Lisa on the phone, like, dude, this baby just lives in my connective tissue. Like, yeah, yeah. It was so stretched out. Yep. And I had had a mesh hernia repair done after my first baby. So at like less than a year postpartum, I was told that I really needed to address this hernia that I had in hindsight. It was a very, very, very tiny hernia. And I would not oh, have touched man. that if I knew better. Like, yeah. I didn't know at that time. I thought like that was the medical advice I was given was repair it based on the kind of lifting that you like to do. And it'll be fine. It'll hold through another pregnancy. Well, when I was pregnant with Chance, that baby was pressing straight into where that mesh repair was done. And after I had him, you know, of course, there was a huge focus for me on getting my abs and that fascia as improved as possible. I really didn't think that surgery would be on my horizon um, because I just was like, okay, I understand I have a significant diastasis, but I also feel like I I can get it to a point where I'll feel really good and be able to do the things that I want to do. Cause that was most, what was most important to me. And at about a year postpartum, I'd say like when my body kind of regulated, I was done finishing up nursing. I had a really good idea of like where I had ended up at technically in like the rehab and getting stronger game. 
and at least for me. And I knew that the mesh had been altered. And that's like the best way I can describe it. It's really confusing. And in the previous podcast where I talked about my abdominal plasty, I had a really hard time describing it too. But essentially on the left side, my rectus abdominals just felt feathered. Like there was no solid edge to the muscle. And it was like this crinkly, weird feeling where it was just like, almost like you crumbled up a ball of foil and like put it in my abdomen. And that's what it felt like. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you sending me videos and we're trying to figure out what was what looking at everything and like, and like, what the heck is that? Is that my muscle? Is that the fascia that's weird there? Is it hurting? Is that the mesh? And it's hard because mesh is sort of like drywall where it like forms into your body. It's not like this just piece there. And again, this is not my scope of practice to like educate anyone on mesh and hernia repairs at all, but this was sort of my circumstance. And even though my diastasis had improved a lot, there was still this weird uh, sensation. I mean, I didn't know what that meant and I didn't know what that meant for long-term. And so when I thought about, is there anything I can do about addressing this after talking to quite a few people, as mentioned in that previous episode, it seemed that if they were going to go in there to address the mesh anyway, that was only on top of fascia. So they would also need to address, likely need to address the diastasis as well. Because even though my diastasis had improved quite a bit, like Lisa, I could approximate it to like, you know, like one or two fingers, one or two centimeters ish. But then at rest, it would open up more to right. probably like a three or four ish separated. I never felt hindered exercise wise. I could do the things that I, I wanted to do, but I still technically had a diastasis for sure. 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 Um, and so it felt like ultimately the right choice would be if I'm going to do anything about the mesh, I may as well kind of clean up that area. <laughs> yeah. That's my ability. If I have to have surgery anyway, like let's, yep. let's just fix it all. Okay. And like, that's okay. And trying to make peace with that was super shitty. And super yeah, and I remember talking to you in the grocery store after you had went to, I don't know, some surgeon and just, I was wandering around the grocery store. <laughs> talking and you're just like, well, all the stuff you just said, like trying to figure out, trying to figure out what decision to make. Right. Um, And that's, it's really isolating because you don't want to make the wrong choice and no surgery should be taken lightly. And yeah, you know, and it's just really overwhelming to know what to do because there is simply not a lot of information about any of this stuff. And of course, Lisa and I are working our asses off to change that. But at the very same time, we had to be these guinea pigs in a lot of ways. And that sucks. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, for me, it was easy because it's just like, I knew, I knew surgery was right. Like, you right. know, I talked about the aesthetic part also functionally, even though I could do a ton, I was doing muscle ups. I was doing all this core stuff. I felt strong. I knew that I also could still be stronger, right? right. With surgery eventually. And, you know, the tissues were so thin that that growing older was concerning for me. And I didn't want to get a hernia. I had a suspected hernia in my belly button, but I never really got it checked out. Didn't end up being an actual hernia. My tissue was just so thin that stuff was pushing out that everyone assumed was a hernia. But it was still like, it was a clear choice for me to have the surgery. And I remember you and I talking like, I didn't want surgery. I was so nervous. And so part of me was jealous that you kind of had a choice, but at the same time, I was not jealous because that was such a hard decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. Like, I mean, it's just so screwed up, right? It so. is. It is. Because yeah. again, like Lisa's could kind of go in with almost more of a guarantee that this was going to be the right choice for her. Right. Like, aesthetically, her result would essentially anything would be better. I mean, and look, we are both very, we try to be extremely body positive. And I also think we have to be a realist when you're talking to women, especially when it's a woman who has a significant diastasis and there's so much shame around surgery in this conversation. We're going to just try to tell it like it is. And I hope you know our hearts and read the rest of our messaging that this isn't, wasn't necessarily a superficial decision, but it's also okay to make the decision to have surgery for aesthetic reasons, whatever your reason is. So for me, it wasn't necessarily aesthetic. Of course, I knew there like might be an aesthetic change, but like my stomach was already very flat. It right. was very strong. I mean, my belly button was kind of funky, but like most postpartum belly button areas like change a little bit. 
Right. Um, so that wasn't as obvious of a, of an improvement. And of course you'd get told, Oh, it'll change. It'll be so good. Get rid of this loose skin. But like, okay, Lisa, do we both still have stretch marks? Oh yeah. And when I lean over the stretch marks below, like the bottom of where my, you know, the bottom of my belly still scrunch up, like stretch yeah. out skin marks. Skin. Yeah, It's like a ball sack, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's still there. Now, before I had a huge ball sack because I had tons of skin and a protruding belly. And when I was in a plank, it was like biggest ball sack you've ever seen. But now it's just little, (laughs) but it's still the same as I, I also have stretch marks. Um, when I bend, like it does kind of crinkle just like, like, yeah, like wrinkle. But when I had my diastasis, I get into a plank, mine actually around my belly button region would almost like form a vagina. (laughs) Oh, okay. Remember seeing that? Like, yeah, you get into a plank position, you put your phone under your, your body. You can kind of see when you're holding that, like what do the edges of the rectus do around that? And mine was just honestly like formed the shape of like the vulva. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you know, it's, it's just interesting to pay attention to your body and know that surgery will not necessarily improve every single aesthetic component, even if the overarching result does. Like for Lisa, it absolutely changed the overarching appearance of her body in a really positive way for her as a female athlete, for her aging, for her compared to what her diastasis abdomen looked like prior. Right. Yep. And you know, I went into this surgery not looking or expecting perfection mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. <laughs> I hear women that connect with me about surgery, and a lot of them struggle after the surgery uh, for a number of reasons, like their stomach isn't completely flat, or there's this, they still have the stretch marks. And I don't know, that wasn't clearly communicated to them. Like it was clearly communicated to me how the skin would be and what stretch marks would be left. And, you know, just, it was very clear that I guess that doesn't always happen or are totally sold an unrealistic, right. Um, Perfect. We're going to get rid of all of this and it's going to be look like you never had babies. Yeah. No, 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 no. We can't do that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's not possible. I don't care how much, I don't care if you go to the best plastic surgeon in the world, like there's still only so much that can be done. And so, and I think oftentimes women forget whether you have a minor diastasis or a really big one like mine or somewhere in between, like after you have babies, when you eat, even if you're eating non-bloating food or, you know, you're whatever, you're still eat and drink. And throughout the day, your stomach is, it expands because you're drinking and eating. Right. Right. So women often forget that that happened before they had babies, even with a non-diastasic stomach, because that's just life. And then they get the surgery. And then I think there's swelling that goes on for a really long time that again, is not clearly Mm -hmm. communicated to them how long that can go on for. On top of the fact that they think they're going to have this flat stomach all day, every day. And it's like, no, it's still a human stomach. You're eating, you're drinking, there's things going on. Yes. And they get very, very, very upset. And it's really, I think, one of the biggest disconnects and biggest messes in the abdominal plastic tummy tuck community and from the women that I talk to. And I think that's something that really needs to be put out there and talked out a lot more about. Right. And that your swelling could literally go on for six months. And yeah. or longer. Yeah, and, mine and went continue, on for a year. Yeah. Right. And continue when you, yeah. you work out. And this yep. is just swelling and bloating. Yes. Like I would yes. start bloating in different areas than I bloated before. Like I would bloat above my belly button instead of like lower abdomen. Like before, I would yes. bloat more like my belly button region and below. And then okay. after surgery, I would bloat more in like my rib cage area. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. And um, I think there's there's women that are like three, four months and they're swollen and upset. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what has the surgeon told you? Like I swelled for over a year and right. I was ready for that and prepared for oh, it. Some women- They'll tell you that you, you know, that you swell and for like six or eight weeks only. Resume yeah, activity. it's like, what? I know. <laughs> I know. And look, like some people, some people maybe just like recover and- and it's a fairly easy recovery for them. Yeah. What we're trying to talk about here is this all-encompassing, I guess like just this all-encompassing notion that 
this surgery is a really big deal. It should not be taken lightly. There's a lot of misconceptions, both given from different plastic surgeons and also just the expectations because we are, all of us are uneducated yes. on kind of surgery. All of us, like yes. Lisa and I included. Yes. We're even with diligent, crazy, over-the-top understanding and the best people surrounding us. Yes. We were still caught off guard individually yep. and yep. even like together trying to figure things out. Yep. And, and telling you, we were in the most privileged position going into this surgery yep. with the people that are in our network who really understand this whole system. And the truth is no one has fully been able to connect all the dots between like, well, there's diastasis and then there's a surgery and then there's this technique and then there's this recovery and then there's this issue or not issue or whatever. Like there's just so many different things. Yep. It makes it really hard for people to know what to do. What to Yeah. Know. It's very overwhelming. It's just very, very overwhelming. <laughs> so let's talk function because I think that's a huge misconception, both in the diastasis corn pelvic floor community and also the abdominal plasty plastic surgery community. So let's first talk about what do you see a lot with our diastasis crowd and what their messaging is about function? Yeah. So this is just so messy because before there was nothing and now there's all this stuff, but then some of that stuff turns into this dysfunction, 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 right? And then people think they need surgery because they're dysfunctional and they've got back pain. So they need the surgery. And, you know, in the ideal world, what I'd love to see is that women have a diastasis, whatever kind of diastasis they have, but they know that there's a lot that they can do physically to progress and feel better, whether they end up getting surgery or not. And there's a lot that can be done, which again, is the empowering part of that, right? Like you're not messed up. You're not totally broken. broken. You're not, oh my God, please fix me. I need the surgery. You know, none of that, because that's when that's when things can, sometimes it can turn out okay, but sometimes it can be worse. Right. Um, and it becomes and, a slippery slope of like desperation. And then, oh, I yes. can't do this and I can't do that. And then you were yes. just so preoccupied. And Lisa and I both, with very different diastasis, but all very similar athleticism. Lisa, you could pretty much do everything you wanted to do for the most part. Yes. Exercise, correct? Yes, I could. And yes. same with me. And that yes. is because our body as a whole is a strong unit. And just because your midline might not be as strong or what it was does not mean that you as a whole or as an athlete are not functional. And if you're being told that your diastasis is the reason you can't do X, Y, or Z, you are not being told accurate information. 100%. I was doing muscle-ups, strict muscle-ups, all kinds of core work, lifting heavy weight, front squatting, deadlifting. Um, all of that stuff. And right. Lisa's you know, a lot more crossfitty than me. I'm super crossfitty. Right. She's like super crossfitty. Like I'm like, <laughs> like I'm like 20% crossfitty. Yeah. But like, you know, I was lifting, <laughs> running, yep. doing a lot of different movements where it was not movement wasn't the issue. Function isn't yep. an issue. Function is kind of like a weird, a weird selling point that people want to blame something. You know? yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, I got rid of so much back pain that I thought I would never be able to get rid of because, oh, well, I have this huge diastasis at rest. Of course, my back's going to hurt type of thing. Right. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I worked through some of that with some really great help and just different things. And it was amazing. <laughs> and, um, you know, the recovery, like you were saying, I know we'll get into in a minute is really can be really tough with the surgery. And so if people are getting the surgery to reconnect with their core, well, if you don't have strategies, like you are never more disconnected from your core than after the surgery. So if you can't work to connect back to your diastasis core before surgery, after surgery is going to be, could be really rough. And that back pain might not go away. (laughs) So what do you you mean disconnected from your core post-surgery? Like, what does that feel like? Why do you think that? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, my stomach was just numb. So it's numb. It's been moved around. Like my rectus was moved. It was in a different place. (laughs) Um, You know, like atomically, like it's, it's nuts. Uh, I felt like I couldn't, it took me a long time to even feel like I could breathe fully. 
Right. Um, and, you know, I'd spent all that time working on different breaths and all I mean, my rehab and then, you know, just working out. And I felt like I could breathe in all the ways. And I felt like so empowered and in control where I could change my breathing. And it was this cool athletic feat that I learned coming out of this, you know, diastasis right. education. And then I lost all of it because it's just like, oh, I'm just, I'm breathing wherever I can yeah. breathe. Like it's I can't like, <laughs> breathe into like my rib or doing these different things anymore, like for a while. But, you know, I worked at it and I got there, but it's intense. Right. And so function after. Yes. Let's talk a little bit more about how things change for you functionally after. Yeah. So I, you know, and again, it's not ideal because, you know, I'm my own person in my own head and there's biases right. and things, but I tried to really like once I, it took my rehab, I was slow as fast. It's my saying, right? So it took me a while. But once I got back to doing everything, I was like, okay, what really does feel better now that I've had the surgery? Like, and what doesn't? Things right. like sit-ups don't feel that different to me. Um, things like a strict toe-to-bar felt a little bit easier. I could do those before surgery, but they do feel better after surgery. Less effort. The thing that I see the biggest change in is something like my front squat. I mean, it's yeah. like freaking night and day difference. It feels so amazing. Like my squat clean, my front yeah. squat, my deadlift. I like the front loaded movements, like front, like front yes. squats, deadlifts, clean yes. snatches, yes. things where that is front loaded. Weight. Yes. Front loaded weight where I'm not in a fully like contracted active yes. position where right. I could bring my rectus together. Right. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's still to this day. I mean, in April, I'll be two years post-op and I do front squats every time I do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I still can't yeah. believe it. So obviously, yes, there is a, a functional restoration there that I do feel, but it is cool that some of the other things I do, you know, I do feel a difference, but it's not like the hugest difference ever, which I think is cool because it just reminds me that I did work really hard before surgery and it was really cool. So absolutely. And yeah. so I think Lisa and I both, as coaches, as working with people of diastasis, rehabbing and really having a solid understanding of our of diastasis reca in general, we went into surgery very concerned about function, wanting yep. to have the most function. <laughs> I'm, like using, I'm like using air quotes, no one can see that, but like, yes. like, like essentially we wanted to have the best function and the best and most strength as possible going into surgery. And then we were very concerned about post-surgery yeah. with regaining that function yeah. and um, putting such a huge emphasis on the muscular recovery and the exercise recovery and like what that would look like essentially from a very uh, physical or functional standpoint. That was where our focus was. That was where our bias was. Yes. And yet, and yet, <laughs> like most things, like you know, motherhood, you kind of go in with one plan, and and then the rest of motherhood is like, oh yeah, hold my beer, right? So like that's kind of what happened with surgery for both of us. I had like healing complications. Mm-hmm. My, my muscular function and like how my abs actually felt. I didn't have a whole lot of pain. I was able to stand up straight, kind of like on the earlier, and not because I was forcing it, but I just felt like I had some solid range, but, yeah. um, I didn't have a ton of skin to remove. And so I think there was a lot of tension on my scar, even though I had like a vertical incision and the, like hip to hip, it's also a short scar. And so there was just a ton of tension on my scar and it got irritated. I feel like my body was just really freaking angry and it just healed poorly. Like it really just healed poorly. And we were both kind of like, well, what the hell? Like this other thing feels fine, but now I'm having healing complications. And why are, why are the sutures spitting? And like, what's happening? Like, why is there, this area kind of looks infected. And like, it was so strange for my body and I couldn't understand why that was happening. It felt like it was just getting irritated from the binder because it was so low. And so it's almost like I went into it prepared and planned for this, like how I was going to recover from a muscular skeletal perspective. 
And then yet there was like these other things that yeah, you had, yeah. I, was like, oh, shit, I don't know the answers to this. <laughs> yeah, you had all these wound healing things. And it's so funny because I went to back to my doctor. Well, I had all these consults and I went back to my doctor like three times with questions typed out, you know, the whole thing. And I still had questions about drains and other healing stuff too. But like, I was so obsessed with the sutures and what sutures and my function and like so much of that, that I didn't ask many questions about wound healing. And I, I did ask a few, but like not a ton. Right. I, did, I don't even know how yeah. they sutured my, my hip to hip scar. Didn't even ask, didn't even care. Didn't even, you know, <laughs> and when I got my post-op uh, report, cause I wanted it to have for my records, I was frantically looking in to see what they wrote about the rectus. It was one sentence. And it was like paragraphs about this, yeah. the closure because that's really so important. And I didn't even realize it at that time. I was just pissed. Right. <laughs> but right. now looking yeah. back, what you went through and all the stuff, I'm not saying I shouldn't have asked about the sutures with my rectus and my athlete and my function because there, there are considerations there and that's part right. of it. Right. But like we were too focused on the one thing when the other part is really huge for wound healing. Right. And also aesthetics, because, you know, I didn't even look at pictures from my guy because I just, I liked him and I was just, I knew he was good. And I got rid of all these things, but like at the same time, and I was so, I knew anything would be an improvement, right? Like we had said, right. which is true, but at the same time, this is the body you have to live with the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you do have to make sure that this person is a badass plastic surgeon. That's going to make you look good too. God, totally. And again, we both like that wasn't it it's nuts right but it's in there there was our our bias coming out and our fears because right. my biggest fear was like i want to do muscle ups again i want to fly free i could uh-huh. cry talking about it right <laughs> <laughs> but i am now so it's great but it's all of it it's the right. whole thing it really is all of it this week's episode is brought to you by iconic protein you can use code practice brave using the link in the show notes to try it out. What I love about it is it is on the go protein. I don't have to mix anything. I don't need my protein shaker bottles. I don't need to put it in a blender. It is pre-made, ready to go. I just grab it from my fridge and out the door. I love it. I was like my 4 p.m. I'm kind of snacky feeling, but I don't want to have like a full meal. So I love having this for when I'm out the door to baseball or jujitsu or whatever with my kids. It's a great way to get in 20 grams of protein for only 140 calories. I personally really like the chocolate and greens flavor. So if this is something that sounds like it would resonate with you, you're trying to get extra protein in your diet, whether it's because you're postpartum or you're recovering from a surgery, or you just really need more protein to support the fitness that you're doing, I'd really recommend checking out Iconic Protein using the link in my show notes. And please be sure to use code PracticeBrave to get a discount. I felt like I was kind of told what I wanted to hear. And when you're working with any professional, like my scar was really short, like there was a ton of tension on it. And I think that that really did lead to a lot of my wound healing issues because when you have a lot of tension on something, it's it's hard for it to hold, you know? Yeah. Um, and in talking to a lot of other surgeons and stuff, it's just like, God, well, why did this happen? And right. um, just trying to get understanding and clarity around it. And there's so many things that we just don't know. And yeah. we can point fingers at quite literally so many different things. So yeah. while I functionally felt fairly good after surgery, like my yeah. muscular wise um, and movement wise, I was having a whole other battle with my body that just did not seem very happy with me. And it was a real struggle to the point where I ended up having the revision uh, on just the scar part or whatever, three months later. And that, like that, that sucked too. (laughs) Like, yeah, really traumatizing to go through all of that. And then I talked about this in the previous episode about the abdominal plasty that it, it was traumatizing to go through that. And then know that there were thousands of people watching my process and I felt guilty and responsible and like, God, did I do something wrong? And now I've shared that. And what if other people do what I did or like, I don't know, like just feeling responsible, even though I don't think I did anything wrong. It's still that fear that I don't want to like misguide people just when I'm in the trenches of my own process. And so I now have learned it's really, it's worthy to walk through it (laughs) And then speak once you actually know what you need to know. 
Yeah. It's hard because we want to be honest and transparent and vulnerable. And like, you know, we can't hide that we obviously, you know, on one regard and nobody's really talking about this. So we want to talk about it. Right. But in the other regard, like you said, like as much as we did and are still doing and learning, like we, there was still so much we didn't know. So it's like, it's just so hard to walk that line. Like you would say, you know, of, of all of that, like, it's so hard for me. I remember cause you had your surgery a little bit before me. And, and when I had mine, I was in so much more pain. I was hunched over. I was miserable. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, am I ever going to be you know, I didn't expect it to go exactly like yours at all. We're different people, different bodies, different surgeons, different this, everything. But at the same time, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, right. Like we were doing, like Lisa would compare her pain to my no pain. And I would compare my scar to her, like no scar issue. Yes. What the hell? Yes. Both are doing a very similar thing. And it's just yep, your body and surgical techniques, the kind of just recovery processes that you have support all of that really influences recovery and yeah. i think we both need to say that for everyone listening less is more in that recovery process do less sit more like truly give your body the opportunity to recover even if you feel good yeah see you that was easy for me for exercise yep that was easy for me because I felt horrible. I wasn't going to overdo it. Like I literally laid around for two weeks. I mean, I got up and walked around and got blood right. circulation and, and, you know, all of those things. But I, yeah, and I went to my parents and I got a, one of those recliners and the kids were here. I had to hire a nanny, you know, like, so Jared, Jared had to work still. And right. so I was set up for those two weeks to, to not even have a chance of overdoing it or jumping for a kid or anything like that. Then I went home week three, still had full-time help for a whole week, even though I was there and was very, very, very diligent about not overdoing it. I think for other people that can be hard, A, if they feel better, they may overdo it or B, they just, it's just momming. And if your kids are around, temptations are really, really, really high. Absolutely. Because you're like, oh, well, like my baby or my toddler needs to be. Yeah not like you're going back to the gym. It's just like you're right. daily living, take yep. a toll and you have to really protect that space. Another problem I see, especially on social media is people think that doing their diastasis rehab or their core work or whatever it might be is going to help them recover from an abdominal plastic. Can you talk right. about yeah, you mean like beforehand or no, like after, after. like they try to like start doing their diastasis rehab as their abdominal plastic rehab. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, so here's the thing. There are similarities that you can use in your rehab, like pressure management. Yes. Okay. You know what I mean? Like all of that kind of stuff. It's good to, it's good to know that going into it, right? Because that can right. help. However, this is so different and weird that you really need ideally someone like out of your own head, helping you with different things to do and not just doing your same stuff, you know, (laughs) because it's different. It's totally different. I was literally working against internal sutures and sutures and a core that is in a new place. Yes. Fascia that have totally changed. And so doing direct core work, even if it's again, air quotes, safe, diastasis safe is not even close to being okay for nope. an abdominal plasty nope. approach. Like yeah, right. core work and abdominal plasties do not go together for quite a while. Yes. I mean, I remember I was lucky enough, you know, I had Nancy Boyd, my PT that we, that right. we work with together now. And, you know, she helped me. And, you know, the thing of it is she is an amazing physical therapist. Okay. And how many abdominal plasty people has she worked with straight out of the gate? She sees some people down the line that maybe have had issues, right? Zero. <laughs> now she was a total badass. Did a bunch of research, talked to a bunch of people, got a game plan, and it was instrumental in my mental and physical recovery because I was so mentally scared. I had pain. There's so much that goes into it, but she would tailor everything for me and did an amazing job. But even the best physical therapists out there haven't worked with a lot of women straight out of abdominoplasty. So all. they're even learning as we go too. So it's like just doing your straight blanket diastasis rehab is not 
is not the deal, right? <laughs> right. So to that, people will say, well, what should I do then? And my yeah. answer is you should do a whole lot of nothing. Um, like yep. you really should just focus on rest yep. and then getting your entire body moving again yep. and working through normal activities of daily living, incorporating that into your fitness. Like, so if you're going to squat to pick up your kid or you're going to carry your kid, can you squat in your exercise routine? And yes. can you do like a kettlebell carry in your exercise routine so that you're getting stronger again at your life things? And that will influence your core continuing to heal and just find a new homeostasis. Yes, absolutely. And you know, core is life. And that's why it's so hard with this surgery because you can't just not use your core, right? You're using your core when you're standing, you know, you're using your, so, exactly. so it's, uh, it's intense, but yes, it is definitely, I find a lot of women, whether it's trying to get back to core exercise or exercise in general, right. whatever it may be, really trying the rest of the process. And part of that reason is the surgeons just give this blanket statement of like, oh, four, six weeks, you can start exercising again. Like, oh, what? You know? So, um, you know, the surgeons that I interviewed for on my IGTV were all really great and they all check up with their clients uh, very well post-op and are very kind of the best that I've seen when it comes to that, but also admit that they don't know, they, they aren't trained in that stuff. Like you need someone else helping you during that time if possible. So absolutely. And, you know, and I know that there's that desperation to go back to core work. And so any athlete or, you know, person who likes to work out. So I think that y'all are athletes. Um, But if you think you need a specific core workout or ab exercise or set routine to do, yeah. Like you don't like it actually your, your core likely just needs a well-balanced and consistent strength training program and, and some general conditioning yes. for you to get stronger. Like yes. that's, what's going to really assist in your overarching recovery. So then when you have your, like a, basically a solid body base of movement, then you can do the specification when your abs have, have healed and adjusted to it's new again to a new homeostasis. Right. So no direct core ab work necessarily for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the first workout I did, you know, I had done some rehab stuff with Nancy and I did like lunges and dips on a bench, you know, like, so yes, are you using your core and you do that? Yes, you are. Right. Right. But I'm not like hurrying up to try to like, we're not planking and crunching leg raises and Russian twists, like that kind of stuff that people really like to do. Yep. Hold off. And even from a rehab standpoint, like toe toe touches or heel taps or like whatever, a lot of that stuff, like maybe, but not early, like try to give your body time to just rest. And like, cause we're taking into consideration tension on the actual incision on the outside, but also the sutures on the inside. And even with the best pressure management, it's still, we're, fa- we're factoring things in like just your skin. Yes. <laughs> like yes. true, like basic healing, like your skin yes. and the internal pressure system. And there's just a lot that your body has to acclimate to. Yes. So the surgery, I feel like we, <laughs> we've probably scared the shit out of everyone. <laughs> so, let's, so let's talk about the positive. So Lisa, you obviously feel like aesthetically, you, you have improvements functionally. You do technically have improvements. Your scar overall looks really good and you have done a great job. Do you have back pain or any kind of pain? I do have back pain, but it's not any different than the back pain I had before I had kids (laughs) that I get sometimes. Right. Um, overall. Yeah, it's, it's good. Right. And positively for me, I have learned (laughs) so much (laughs) so, so much. And, um, while I won't say that I look better, I will say that I look different and that's kind of subjective. I am absolutely now at peace with my body because I did what I knew was right. And what I thought was right at the time in a lot of different ways, there were so many variables that were not within my control and we have to like, let that go. Cause I cannot yeah. like go, Oh, what about this? Or gosh, this, or feel just so much resentment. I can have a lot of questions. That's for sure. I've had a lot of questions over the last 
almost two years. But now, especially if you've listened to the past couple episodes, you'll know that I am currently early here in 2021, feeling quite a lot of peace with where my body is at. And even if it looks like some would say, oh yeah, it totally looks better because you don't have loose skin around your belly button or whatever. And I could easily, and while others could easily say, yeah, but maybe your belly button looks kind of different or whatever. Like, so it's just, again, it's very subjective. Whereas Lisa's was a dramatic aesthetic improvement. Mine might be subtle and some people might think it looks better. Some might think it looks worse. And I just want to not care about that and find peace with knowing like, this is my body and I trust it to move and do the things that I want it to do. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Anything else that you would like people to know about this surgery and recovery and all of that stuff? Yeah, I think it's hard because there's just, I mean, we talk about, okay, we're lacking research in pregnant postpartum things and we're, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. I mean, this is like even worse because, <laughs> you know, no one talks about it and like how much, I mean, oh my gosh, how much research has gone on this stuff? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and especially for athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Too. And telling people, oh yeah, go back to your, acti- well, what is your activity? It's, it's the same thing, right? These there's different activities and the wound care and, and all of that. So it's just the biggest thing I just always say about this is unless you have a medical emergency where there's like a hernia that needs to hurry up and be fixed for a medical reason. And you're doing, you plan to do your diastasis too. And so maybe you rush into it. I don't know. Cause you want to do that together, which makes sense that just wait and research and do a bunch of consults and, and that's the, that's just the biggest thing is just wait because we did all that stuff. And still, like you said, we're blindsided by some things and I'm, I'm working right now really hard to create a course and a program with Munera so we can put something out for women, whether they're deciding to get the surgery, whether it's after the surgery, you know, all this stuff. And, and she's so amazingly great about finding evidence based stuff and research. And she's got to really dig to get some research for this, right? <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, there's not a lot. And like you said, no. when you look and you talk with different surgeons, it seems like there's a huge majority of people that opt for this surgery yes. that are, um, God, and this sounds, this sounds bad. This, so I don't just please trust me. I'm trying my best here with my language, but that are not athletic women. Sure. Maybe carry right. a lot more fat on their abdomen or fitness is not their huge focus. Maybe they're not super lean to begin with. And so it's hard to have these comparisons of what to expect on basically like an athletic body or like a lean body, because we see a lot of bodies that like, at least with plastic surgery that didn't look super athletic or lean before, then they have the surgery and then everything's just pulled super tight. Or there's weird lighting or there's like stupid looking underwear that they use. And I'm just like, oh my God, like that drives me crazy. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're trying to have these before and afters that are so not realistic. Sure. Um, Yeah. So just taking into account that as a consideration too, because you likely may not always find a body that looks similar to you. Right. Or a body that is doing or wants to do or the same things that you like to do. Like right. it's very hard to find those comparisons. Yes. And it's just like you and I had similar goals and things, but still we're, our bodies are so different. Right. So that didn't, that wouldn't even done any, you know what I mean? Like even that comparison. So right. it's, and you don't know, well, you don't know what you don't know, obviously. <laughs> right. But also surgeons all do the surgery differently. They're all very different. And so that can be very overwhelming. So it's important to take it all in and then step back and then be like, all right, which surgeon do I actually trust? Which is mm-hmm. really freaking hard. I find either people trust their surgeon too much and they're just like, cool, let's do it. Done. Picking this person. Or, you know, it's, it's hard to trust anybody, which is also hard because if you want to get surgery, you got to pick someone and trust someone. <laughs> And I think, but taking the time and sitting with it and because sometimes you can go to a different consult and someone can tell you something completely different. And right. then what do you do? What oh, do you totally. do? that's why I think we have to go to quite a few consults. I wish yep. I would have gone to more. Yeah. Um, and I think that we have to be able to ask questions like, 
not just the technical of the surgery and whatnot, but okay, what does the post-op care look like? Yes. What, what kind of binder do you recommend? What yes. kind of post-op follow-up policy do you have in place? Who do you recommend Correct. me to go to if there's complications? And what does that, what do complications look like? Yes. You know, and what is, and you know, some people think that their diastasis repair failed and like, okay, yes. what does that look like? Is that real? Yes. Is that not? And like being yes. able to have these discussions with surgeons that are not just like, I don't know. I think that we just have to have like all encompassing support and know that they are going to be with you and, and like, qual- not qualified, but help you beyond just the actual surgery moment. Right. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Like, yes. Do a great job in surgery, but then are they qualified and able to fully support you if shit doesn't go well? Or if yes. you're having this pain or yes. if you can't stand up, what does that mean? Or yes. um, you think that you maybe have the start of infection. Like, is there like good follow-up care and guidance being given there? What does that look like? And do you feel comfortable asking all those questions? Because I, there's so many women that are like, don't like how something looks, but they're worried. They don't want to offend the surgeon mm-hmm. or they don't want, I'm like, you have to go into the surgery with a, a communication with that surgeon um, that is very clear, open and available. Right. right. What I have loved about, um, my surgeon who took my breast implants out a few weeks ago, if you guys missed that episode, <laughs> go um, listen. Yeah. Go listen. Very important. Uh, provides a shit ton of context. But what I have loved about him was that he was like, I want you to ask me questions. I yes. want, if you feel like something is off or wrong or anything, I want you to come in here. It helps me become a better surgeon to see you through this. Yes. And to you know nothing is crazy. This is your body. And what I loved was he told me that I'm the expert on my body and he's there to support it in his expertise. Oh, oh my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, cause it's hard, right? It's really hard. So you want to have somebody who you feel like, look, I know bedside manner totally varies and it's yes. not everything. It is not everything. No. You can have yes. somebody who's brilliant and have terrible bedside manner. Yes. And that, that might be totally okay for you. Um, I would just make sure that you feel like you will be supported in things that extend beyond the actual surgery. Yes. Even if the bedside manner is not that great. If you feel like you'll still be supported, if you call and you have questions or any clarifications that it will get answered and not dismissed. And I think this just goes back to my whole thing about feeling empowered, right? Yeah. Like that guy, that's an empowering conversation. A lot of people go in if these plastic surgery things, and if it's a male surgeon too, on top of it, and then you're just kind of in this position where you just, it's like, no, you're the one in control and in power, right? And even me who everyone knows me, right? I'm always empower yourself, advocate. You know, I'm saying all these things. When I went into those surgery consults, I was shaking. I had a list of questions I had to read right from the page because I was so damn nervous. And that's me. Okay. So you have to prepare for that and kind of make sure that that happens. Totally. I went to a plastic surgeon about a year ago here in uh, Los Angeles. So I went to the Mecca, Beverly Hills, (laughs) with a surgeon and I felt totally demoralized. Yeah. And this was after my surgery and this was yeah. looking at my body yes. and questioning everything in me. Oh and God. I just felt oh so, God. Oh my God. like it, that was the, that was such a low for me. And I feel like I have my head on really, really straight with this. Stuff. Yeah. Okay, like yeah. fine. Like it's just feedback. It's just information. And I just felt like I, I, he left the room and I just burst into tears and yeah. you know that uh, you cry over everything. I cry over nothing. Right. And I just, I felt so, um, so ashamed, so upset, oh so God. confused, so overwhelmed, just feeling like, fuck, like this is, sorry. I, I usually don't say that on the podcast, but, um, <laughs> it was really, it was really just <laughs> discouraging. And I felt really upset and I knew that he might be brilliant. He might be one of the best people out there for all the, all things plastic surgery. And technically he was, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but how I felt in that about my body was enough for me to say, this is not the guy I'm taking what he is telling me and it's feedback. Yeah. It's data data. How I feel in this moment really sucks. Yes. And I'm not okay with that. I think that's what's so hard about this is because 
it's such a weirdly vulnerable emotional thing. Mm-hmm. Someone's you're standing there naked and we're talking about, I mean, it's like, really, you know, could you get yeah. more vulnerable? No kidding. And so you want someone, I mean, I got so lucky because I found a guy that had great bedside manner who was a phenomenal surgeon at University of Michigan. And so I just, it was great, but it's hard because like you said, you want the best of the best, but can you also emotionally handle, like if a guy's like that, right? right. Can you find the, the best of both worlds? Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's hard. And it's like, he hard. wasn't even being mean. It was just sure. like, right. he was almost just like frustrated or like, oh, yeah. this shouldn't be like that and that. And like, we were talking about my boobs too. And um, yeah. it was just, it was that feeling of, you know, and I went to other plastic surgeons too, who were just sort of like, well, we'll just like, swap out your implants if that's a problem or whatever, you know, and I didn't want that. I didn't want like, well, I'm just, we're going to make you better. We're going to make you better. I just like, I wanted it to, let's keep this all really real, you know, without without making me feel like I need to look better or I look terrible or like, like, it's so hard to put to words, Lisa. It's just plastic surgery is a really overwhelming world. Even when you have like, I feel like my self-esteem is, is really solid. Like yeah. it's, it's truly really solid. And even still like so many vulnerabilities are brought out. It's a mind F. I yeah. mean, it's just the biggest. Right. <laughs> it's, it, is. it really is. Yeah. So you guys, I know that we, A, have talked forever, but B, it's a lot of information and we want you to feel like you have the support through Lisa, through me. Lisa and Munera are working on a project that will be launching hopefully in 2021. But look, we are all in the trenches of getting better information and better collaboration, better understanding from practitioners, better, um, you know, just all encompassing support from plastic surgeons that we are connected to and our own processes trying to get better at sharing. Lisa is very open and very vulnerable and shares so much. So definitely follow her stuff. I am less open <laughs> and have, have like retreated a little bit with sharing this stuff, but um, that's why I want these podcast episodes to exist so that I do my vulnerability dump all in one place <laughs> and it can be there because while I don't feel like I'm in the trenches of my process anymore, I was, and that was, and it's an overwhelming thing to navigate and we both have done it in ways that have felt good for us and we are both okay now. We're both healthy and we're both at a a point of acceptance and like we're proud of our bodies. Like we're both so damn proud of our bodies and the work that we put in and the growth that have happened. I want you guys to hear that because so many women, so many moms in particular don't feel proud of their bodies. And this isn't anything to do with like what we look like. This is the work we have put in as athletes throughout our lifetime, the choices we've had to make as mothers, as humans, as athletes, the processes and the, the struggles and the surrender, we are both, even with different stories and experiences, we are both so damn proud of our bodies. And I want every woman to feel that regardless yeah. of what her choice or circumstance or aesthetic is. I want you to feel proud and I want you to be able to trust your body and trust your instincts. I'm ready and to trust cry. Your team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm crying over there. Cry. <laughs> Oh, geez. I know. I I always say, um, like, there'll be times where I just, uh, I'll do something at the gym or or whatever. And I just feel such, so much gratitude for my body all the time. Yeah. Um, after our journeys and my journey and just, you know, I'm so grateful. So grateful. Right. So we have such in-depth understanding and appreciation for a struggle that it is where you just feel like you're alone. You don't have a lot of information. You work so hard to get the information. You work so hard to apply the information. It is a journey and it is a spectrum. And I think the last thing I want to touch on is I know, well, I have experiences, not Lisa, because again, she's everybody's favorite person. and So nice. Everyone is kind to her. People will have said like, well, you chose to get surgery. So how can I take your advice on diastasis seriously? Oh, grief. Yeah. Right. Does that suck to hear or what? But while I understand the sentiment, I do. I think that there's just a lot of context missing from that conversation. And the women that typically choose to get surgery have just walked through a freaking battlefield of rehab, 
of trying to get it to the point where it was the like best situation of a diastasis possible. And if anybody knows what the hell it's like to improve it and to provide guidance around it, it's a lot of the people that are choosing surgery. And that's, that's a lot of different surgeries, honestly, because yeah. while surgery isn't necessarily, it's like, it's not a bad option. It just might be closer to the last resort and it's a hard option to improve. Yes. But well, it does not negate your knowledge and your expertise and what you're willing to help, willing and able to help other people with. And I know that you feel me on that. Yes, yes. And I think, um, oh, yes. You know, with me, you look at me and you're like, oh, of course you got surgery. You know what I mean? Like, that's why no one said that to me. <laughs> but, and I've said this earlier, not earlier, but in some different podcasts, I've been on different things. And I was really angry at one point that insurance wouldn't cover it, you know, in my case, because it was, it was so extreme and da, 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 da right? But I also understand why insurance doesn't cover this because it's messy. Where do you draw the line? Oh, my finger sinks in so many inches and then, oh, it's a centimeter off and it's not covered. Or like with you, you had the mesh and it was like this weird thing and it really bothered you and it got all screwed up in your second pregnancy. You had to make this decision. Like who gets to decide who in quotes needs the surgery, right? Right. And so it's a mess. I get why insurances don't go there. I mean, it's complex. Right. And I think if you have, you know, if you've been able to experience like a diastasis and rehab and learning from that, and then like all about the surgery, you know, you've pretty much explored all about. <laughs> right, right. You've had things. to walk through the trenches, yeah. the fire, whatever it is. You've worked yep. your ass off to rehab. Yep. Or frankly, maybe you're just like, I'm tired of looking like this and yep. I want to have surgery. And you know yes. what? You should be able to make that choice. Yes. Very, yes. That was your choice. Yes. And not yes. take grief for that. What yes. we all choose to do with our bodies is our yes. own choice. And we should also be able to share our wisdom yes. and our coaching. Because if you have, as a coach, if you've reached the end of that journey of like your diastasis journey and still choose to get surgery, that does not take away from the knowledge and expertise that you have as a coach, as somebody who can create a lot of help. And we could say that same thing for like prolapse surgery. Like so many like so people that are choosing to get prolapse surgery and our coaches, it's, a, it's the same thing. Like they yep. have inspired their whole journey and yep. there's so much value there. Yep. Okay? Yep. We don't do this shit with anything else. We don't like tell a baseball player that he can't coach people because he had a shoulder surgery. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's so stupid. So yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the double standards that exist in women's health, especially um, this kind of stuff. But we did, yes. I did just want to finish off this talk about this because I do hear that quite a bit from, um, yeah. you know, people's concerns about, about the stigma and shame surrounding this surgery. Well, and I think that's what it is because there's so much about heal without surgery, heal without surgery. Oh, you can heal, you know, da, 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 da. And if you're only in that kind of thing and then you see someone like you get the surgery, then it's like, why am I going to listen to you? I don't want to get surgery. You know, <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going to need to get surgery, you know. Um, you need choices and circumstances. And that's all I will keep saying forever and ever is just we are all on our own journey of having unique choices and unique circumstances. Yes. And there's a big picture here that needs to be acknowledged and talked about when it comes to being an athletic woman through the course of your lifetime, because this is not, we are not alone. We are not weird. These are not like unique circumstances. Technically, a lot of people choose surgeries of uh, lots of different reasons. And um, this is just one avenue of it. Absolutely. Where can people find you and stalk you? So I'm all over the Instagrams at lisa.marie.ryan and uh, my website, which I'm going to give a shout out to my, my friend, Linda. I'm redoing my website. I can't handle technology. So I'm paying her to redo my website on a different platform. That's a little, will be a little easier for me to edit. So it's, it might be under construction over the next week or two, but it's www.lisa-ryan.com. Yep. Perfect. And we will, of course, keep you all posted on any new resources that get created um, to support people through plastic surgery and abdominal plasty. And we we are here for you 100%. If this conversation just blew your mind or overwhelmed you or now you're like, oh, my God, we let us help you. Let us help you. 
we are here. And that's definitely where Lisa's focus is shifting, which I 100% applaud. So thanks, Lisa, for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really confident about? I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.